Lucy, I know I know we're not posting videos for this, but we absolutely should because your hair is on point today. Well, thank you. <laughs> it's super oiled, especially after all that stuff involving Arizona. It's super <laughs> dry out there. Yeah. Arid climate, surprising anything can grow out there, especially the uh, recent stuff involving the special cottons that they use. Wait, especially, well, okay, whoa. Hi, Aria. Hi, Lucy. Oh, my God. I know. Hello. I'm amazing. Just like my hair. Did you know that the Anchor app is uh, totally free? I did not know that. Oh Only free. That's a steal. Oh you'd, be, it, you'd be losing money not getting it. Exactly. And they pay you for your voice. Mm. Just like we did right there. So we just paid for a little bit of the show. How exciting. So, ladies, how are you, how are you doing today? Don't such a cliche white bitch thing. It's, it's like, oh, your hair looks amazing. I'm so sorry. Anyway, <laughs> I'm doing great. That's so good. Welcome to the uh, virtual conference room here in this background city that we have wherever we're at. Hi. Glad to have Hi. you. I'm glad to be here. Always we're, a pleasure. Any it day is. above the daisies. Yes, I think that we are recording for a show. It is Transatlantic Conversations, the podcast bridging the divide between ignorance and understanding. So, Lucy, you were telling me something about cotton seeds and GMOs and GMOs. Like, for I grew up hearing nothing good about GMOs, and then I kind of grew up, <laughs> and I found out that... Um, it quite most likely is what's going to help us in our climate crisis. So yeah, uh, without GMOs, the future would be very bleak. Let's, let's just be honest about that. So a lot of things that, don't, that people don't realize is that GMOs can range from a variety of things, such as crops that are more resilient to certain types of parasites. That way you don't have to use excessive amounts of more harmful uh, pesticides. So what people will normally say is, oh, uh, this, this, like, I used to work with a guy who he would tell me he didn't wash his fruits and vegetables because he got all organic. So it was with less pesticides. But the reality is, is that when you use those traditional, uh, crops or farming methods, you're still using pesticides. You're using actually some that are more harmful to the environment and yourself. There's still, it's kind of negligible the amount of harm that those would cause, but still, it's just a misnomer. It's not really going to hurt you to have a GMO food. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm looking through this article as we speak from the Alliance for Science, and it's, it's an article by Joan Conroe. It talks about how um, crop yields can be increased using genetically engineered foods. And the study primarily focused on that of um, grain and maize production or grain and corn. And it talks about how um, genetically engineered foods can be of great help when it comes to having greater crop yield. Greater crop yield means more food on the shelves, all that good stuff. So something to keep in mind when we're talking about genetically modified foods is there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of um, conflation between the harm done by specific corporations like Monsanto, but also not talking about the benefits that can come with genetically modified foods as well. Oh yeah, like there's definitely a con to it. it 
well, I should use a better vernacular, but it's more like pros and cons. So there are two major concerns about GMOs. And one is that you can, in some areas, you can patent a gene. And as I've said before, I don't think that should be allowed per se solely because if it cross contaminates with a, a localized field or crop, you can then be sued. And for some of these farmers, they're not gonna have the level of resources and funding that say Monsanto would. And Monsanto is really shitty about that. Like they will sue the hell out of you for a cross contamination of their product into yours. They're very terrible about that. Uh, another thing is that some of these GMOs, since it does use in some instances, less land and resources to make a better yield, you will get it to outcompete some of the local or domestic plants and they can become invasive. So especially with the way that humans tend to do their farming, they'll slash and burn an area and then put up their crop. And that can be very harmful to an environment, not only for like the ecosystem, but also the, the well, I guess it's still the ecosystem because it's a local fauna and environment. You, you never really want invasive species per se. Sometimes it benefits us like honeybees. Honeybees are an invasive species to the Americas, but we benefit off of it. So one of the interesting, so I actually looked up here, Ari and I were talking a few days ago about, um, we were having uh, coffee over Zoom <laughs> and we were talking about uh, how Monsanto actually was bought out by a pharmaceutical company, Bayer, and has dropped the name Monsanto, no longer using that since I think 2019. They don't oh, wow. use it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, okay. Now that's, that's really crazy that they, they know how they know the name that the rep they've gotten that they've, well, I, I don't know. Maybe they've changed their name for PR purposes, but um, yeah, it's Bayer now. Bayer's is the is the evil GMO corporation out there, quote unquote. So, well, there are plenty of GMO corporations. It's just that one's the primary one that people would think of because of I forget what documentary it was, but there was a lot of hype about how Monsanto was bad because of GMOs, and they were just kind of the forerunners for a lot of patents at the time so uh, they got a lot of a lot of crap for essentially creating a product that we're going to need so currently you can feed the world with the amount of food that we produce it's just that it's not economic economically viable due to like distribution and infrastructure a lot of waste is generated in some of these developed nations and we do tend to throw a lot of stuff away Mm -hmm. So we could feed quite a bit of people. And with the current resources we have, we could support significantly more for the planet. It's just that a lot of people are greedy and that greed tends to get in the way of their altruism. So, so yeah, I think one of the biggest hurdles that um, GMOs have to undergo as far as the PR is concerned is its connection with big businesses with shady practices like Monsanto. Um, there, there's a lot to be said about Monsanto, some good, but some bad, some ugly. I'm, I'm not a fan of giant corporations monopolizing on certain industries, generally speaking. So I'm not a fan of Monsanto per se, but there's a conflation of Monsanto with GMOs. That's hard to unravel in the minds of a lot of average people that aren't exactly investing huge amounts of times researching the subject. They just know Monsanto does bad thing, therefore GMOs are bad, and th that's that's a hurdle that we need to um, a hurdle that we need to deal with. 
is uncoupling those two things. <clears throat> so how do we do that? Where do we start? Uh, raising awareness. Um, one, one thing that I'm not terribly fond of is this idea that we need to have labeling on everything that contains a GMO product because that creates a problem. It makes this association in the minds of the average consumer that GMOs are inherently worse, inherently more unhealthy, because if we have requirements that say, oh, this has to list GMOs, the association in people's minds is gonna be, oh, this is bad. GMO is something that is bad. And maybe average consumer is not gonna look into it much further than that. Well, see, now that's the big divide between the Impossible Burger and the Beyond Meat, is that the Beyond Meat prides itself on being GMO-free, whereas the Impossible Burger meat is very much uh, advocates of genetically modified organisms because they do that with the soy hemoglobin in their product. They extract that soy and, and create that heme that makes that nice tasty meat flavor that we all love. Yeah, that's that. And I think that's part of the problem is that this has already become like an effective marketing tool, marketing your products as not having GMOs, whether or not that particular product is healthier or safer because it's not GMOs. That's a question that's not being answered there. So that's oh, a well, problem. The, there's science uh, behind everything involving that. And you can actually see that the genetically modified food does typically have more nutritional value. Not only is it bigger, but it also will have a higher, uh, not necessarily just nutritional and uh, vitamin uh, basis to it, but just calorically as well. So on top of that, it's not just because, you know, this food is bigger, it has more yield to it. Uh, a lot of instances you'll see, they'll say, they'll, you'll have the claim made by somebody who is against the GMO that this is healthier for reasons. It's kind of like the woo science back in the day when they'd be like, oh, you need this for this, or you take this to get rid of toxins. And there was no actual information that would support that or prove it. Again, though, the amount of difference is neg- negligible when it comes down to like the indiv- individualization of a product. So a banana that is GMO as opposed to a banana that is organic. I, I use air quotes with that because let's let's face it, from a scientific standpoint, organics, it's a term hotly debated. Most of us just refer to it as something involving carbon and they both have carbon. Let's be honest. If I drop it in Piranha Solution, it'll be brought right. down. It's yeah, the, the, um, the chemicals narrative, right? Oh, this has yeah. chemicals in it. This has chemicals in it. Everything has chemicals in it. You say something has chemicals in it or it's chemical free. You're not really saying anything. <laughs> you're, you're just fear mongering at that point. Like, oh, there's so many hard chemicals. There's so many terrible chemicals in that. There are so many chemicals in your blood that you need in order to survive. Like if you look at a strawberry, if I were to take down the chemical composition of a strawberry and put it on the labels, most Americans would see that in panic, not, not even understanding that these chemicals are just naturally occurring in a strawberry. And this has been done. There was an actual yeah. where a group on Facebook went around saying dihydrogen monoxide is dangerous. And yeah, what they were- I've heard of this, yeah. Yeah, they were just taking a label and they were breaking it down to its chemistry and then they would put it on stuff like you can't, dihydrogen monoxide is so deadly, so poisonous that everything in the world that has partaken in it has died. If you, you spray it on your food, but if you get even a little bit of it in your lungs, you will die. Well, what dihydrogen monoxide is, is 
H2O. It's literally yeah. water. Right. And that's the thing is people see this, these labeling tactics. They don't really understand the science behind it because let's face it. How many people can sit there behind a desk and just research stuff? A lot of yeah, people don't have most that people don't. Yeah. Most people don't have the time. They don't, they don't have the drive. Um, I think there's a parallel there between that also and like the gluten-free oh, yeah. phenomenon is, you know, you see gluten-free on a labeling. Anybody that hasn't had the, the time or mental energy to research anything about gluten, they see a bunch of products that say gluten-free. The assumption is going to be, oh, gluten must be bad. That's why this product is advertising itself as gluten-free. The same goes for GMOs. Like, oh, this product is advertising itself as GMO-free. There must be something inherently bad with GMOs. Well, and it's it's funny too because like there is a reason to avoid gluten if you have celiac disease. We get that. That's one hundred percent a valid reason to avoid it. But most people don't have that, and they they shouldn't have to avoid it. So that's why I found it really funny during the the I'd say it's like the the major part or uh, the major apex of the hype involving the gluten-free stuff I would see it on just outrageous stuff like gluten-free water gluten-free salt and I'm like why why would your water have gluten in it in the first place that yeah, I'm drinking sense. I'm drinking my gluten-free LaCroix as we speak right <laughs> I'm breathing my gluten-free air as we speak as well it's oh, I, so ridiculous so I actually, I, I found this study um, from 1992, out, uh, Attitudes of Selected Public Groups in the UK to Biotechnology. And it says here that there is evidence that more knowledge about GMOs make people more skeptical or polarized, not less. And that fascinating. So the more we learn about this, the more it puts us down the rabbit hole of like wanting to learn more and wanted to educate more but then that teeter teeter totters between this fine line of like misinformation and like like what reality is because i've been through that where i've i i used to think the gmos were terrible i used to walk up to people and i'd whisper and be like you know that uh, that that apple right there's got a uh, fish genes in it right yeah and they'd be like oh my god i'd be like yeah like follow me like i i i know everything like like I, i'm nutritionist like they'd be like what <laughs> like you're just a pot smoking hippie i'd be like yeah no listen i know like this this they're, they're lying to you you know like i was that kind of person <laughs> i'm certainly not anymore by any means but there were those times and so how do you how do you address people's how do you really address people's fears like how do you get these people to really sit down and look at the science because it's like because i i have a lot of friends that are very deep into this this ideology that organic is better and that that homegrown like if it if it's grown in a in a in a mass farm industrial system that it's bad for you that you can only have locally grown farm food like what do we how do we have that conversation well I like yeah oh, why get it yeah so there's um you know, there, there's a phenomenon. I, Lucy, correct me if I'm wrong. Dunning-Kruger effect, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, that's the actually of, a legitimate term, and that's used yeah. in many scientific fields. Um, yeah, so the Dunning-Kruger effect um, is when, you know, determined by how much knowledge you have is going to have a correlation to how confident you are about something. So somebody has a very, has like a surface level knowledge of something, 
but they feel very, very equipped to have very strong opinions on the subject. Like you just got out of a philosophy 101 class. Oh, now I know everything there is to know about philosophy. But you climb up that bell curve, you learn even more and even more and even more, and you discover how little you actually knew in the first place. So your confidence about your knowledge of it goes down. So you got a couple more philosophy classes under your belts. Now you become far less confident. It's like, oh shit, I, I really didn't know shit one, two, three years ago with that first class. Oh and God. I think uh, I think that goes along a little bit with what you're saying about GMOs. People grow more skeptical about GMOs, even if they have more knowledge about it. And I want to bring in a little bit of hashtag fair and balanced for a second. There are legitimate concerns to be had about GMOs and the use of GMO technologies. One thing that I'm aware of is that um, there's concern among some people that study GMOs that it's reducing plants biodiversity because um, companies like Monsanto will have one particular strain of, of, of a particularly genetically modified food. And because they have one strain and not like several different strains, they're more susceptible to disease. That is a very real concern. And that is something that is definitely worth talking about. And when it comes to deciding are GMOs good, are GMOs bad, the real answer is it's complicated. That's and true. You're, yeah. Well, like look at bananas, for instance. So I don't know if y'all have researched uh, the Cavendish banana and how it went extinct because of, you know, most bananas in this instance are genetically identical. Their, bio, their, their diversity in, at their genetic level, it was so similar that one specific type of uh, plague came through and wiped the, all this particular banana out. And for a long time, people were worried, like, what are we gonna do to replace this? And sure, we came up with a solution in time uh, and we did. There's, you still have bananas that you eat at your tables to this day because we found an alternative, but that is a very strong concern because if we do lower the biodiversity of stuff, we don't want it to be like the Tasmanian devil where one thing can come through and wipe that out as well. But at the same time, what you'll, what you'll get as a pushback is you'll have people who will say, well, we can genetically modify that same crop to protect against that other uh, plague that'll be coming through and wiping it out. But there's an issue with that because you can't there, then go in and remodify again without the legalities issue. So you'll run into an instance where you've modified it again, or somebody could go and uh, patent that gene that would protect your crop. So now you have to go to that person and that then would create another monopoly in and of itself. Now that doesn't necessarily could be the case. There could be multiple ways to protect against uh, a pathogen other than just one specific instance. Like we saw with COVID, there were several different types of uh, vaccinations that you could use. However, the possibility would still be there. Uh, so, Lucy, I'm, I want to ask you a question because you might know more about this than I do. You, meant, you brought up gene patenting, and I know that's the thing with a lot of these different companies that do genetic modification of foods. Yeah. I, when, I hear, when I think about gene patenting, I think of Jonas Salk and his developments of the polio vaccine. Jonas Salk specifically did not want the polio vaccine to be patented because he wanted it to be as widely available as it possibly could. Yes. Do you think having some kind of system where we move away from patenting these certain things will, one, take power away from large corporations like Monsanto to make bad decisions over genetic modification of foods, and also 
have have GMOs be a better, safer alternative? Yeah, so to me, I think that it shouldn't be allowed. I don't think that you should be allowed to patent a gene because what's to say that in the future through sexual uh, selection that you won't get that same gene. So I know currently it is, if you get it through uh, more of a, a few generations of manipulation via current technology, then yes, it is illegal. But how would you prove that? Like, how would they know that I haven't, you know, like some pharma, farmer in some random location hasn't been growing these things until bam, one of them has it and then sexually selected for that trait. So right mm -hmm. now, I, I do think like on a personal level, I don't think it's a good idea to be able to patent a gene per se. I know that in instances of people, we can't patent genes of people, but you can of plants and animals. And I don't like the fact that you can do that. I think that that should just, I think that that's outright unethical because some of these patents could be saving lives. Like with golden rice, golden rice can make it to where the nutrients that are being uptook by the, the organism, in this instance, rice, will produce more vitamin A. And a leading cause in developing nations of blindness is from malnutrition and the inability to get enough vitamin A. Uh, so the fact that we can patent that and be like, hey, if you want this rice, you have to pay this corporation, I think is just unethical. Um, and I know in the future, maybe we'll find ways to pirate that. And if they do, I am all for that. Like if they get a 3D printer and they're like, hey, I just, I have an organic 3D printer. There's some neuromorphic circuits in here. I've implanted the genes in it. Go plant this rice. I, I'm gonna tell you right now, I, it's just like those old commercials in the, in the past. And they're like, you wouldn't download a car. Motherfucker, if I could download a car, I would. <laughs> also, if I could download also, something um, that is gonna save lives and give it out for free, yeah. like fucking Robin Hood. I'm motherfucking wood. You could bet. Absolutely. As a yeah, quick side note, I think the whole discussion about thing goes well with what we were talking about before too, of making a distinction between the actions of corporations and GMOs themselves. Because when we talk about patenting genomes and Monsanto doing all these different things, that's not a reflection of GMO science itself or saying that GMO science is bad. That is a reflection of possibly a bad business practice by specific businesses. So that yes. distinction needs to be made. Yes, it does. It's from Google Scholar and it went through the pros and cons list. And I'm going to link this there in the description to this wonderful um, little climate-centric series that we're doing because we did not have time to go through this. It's very long because it's on Google Scholar and Google Scholar is where we uh, adults go to actually learn things because we don't just read Tommy Jones over there on um, We Are One with, with Gaia and, and Palladians.com. So uh, genetic modification via recombinant DNA technology is compelling because it does provide a means for bringing truly novel traits into crops and the adoption of genetically modified via recombinant DNA uh, technology is compelling because it does provide a means for bridging, bringing truly novel traits into crops and the adoption of GM crops has been rapid in a range of countries around the world. 
only a very limited number of traits have been incorporated to date into GM crops, the two primary traits being herbicide tolerance and insect resistance. Nonetheless, farmers who have adopted GM crops have benefited from operational benefits they provide, and current GM crops has facilitated the adoption of more sustainable farming practices, in particular, reduced tillage. The ongoing Asynchronous approval of GM crops around the world means that there will always be issues related to the, the advantageous presence of GM crops in crop shipments and trade dis- disruptions. Pol- uh, Pollen-mediated gene flow from crop to crop and seed admixtures are challenges of GM crop farming and agricultural marketing as a result. The adoption of GM HT crops has also accelerated the evolution of herbicide-resistant weeds, which has created additional operational challenges and costs for farmers. The GM crops commercialized to date have all been deregulated and deemed to be safe to the environment and safe in terms of human health by competent authorities around the world, including the European Food Safety Association. There remain, however, critics of the technology who point to the lack of public research on the potential risks of GM and GM crops. GM crops will continue to be developed because they provide a real operational benefit for farmers, who are the ones who purchase the seeds. The novelty of the technology and its potential to bring almost any trait into crops means that there needs to remain dedicated diligence on the part of regulators to ensure that no GM crop are deregulated that may in fact pose risks to human health or the environment, but will also remain in the promise of the value of novel inventions that bring benefits to consumers and the environment. The same will be true for the next wave of new breeding technologies, which include gene editing technologies such as clustered regularly inner space short paleodramatic repeats. These new technologies have even greater potential for modifying crops than GM technology, and they avoid some of the characteristics of GM technology that have underpinned criticisms, including, for example, the presence of foreign DNA. Oh my God, what a big word there. Clustered regularly inner space short Palindromic repeats. Oh my god! <laughs> you know, as sciencey types, we like to make these really big words to like scare people. Oh, they have a, an acronym for that. It's called Perfectly CRISPR. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a scientist here for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, CRISPR is a fantastic technology. You know how people get though when it comes to technology. They see big words, they see stuff they don't understand, and they get scared. And you can see that in a lot of parallels. They don't recognize that it could necessarily help them or be beneficial. You can see that in several different instances. And like what I'm about to say might come off as controversial to some because I know it's scary. A good parallel that you'll see is with nuclear power. You, you constantly have that fear of, holy shit, this science is terrifying. If used poorly or inadequately or in a way that is detrimental, it could cause some issues. And certainly, for instance, with nuclear power, it could. But if it's regulated and it's used for the betterment of a society, you only stand to gain so long as you are diligent in regulating not only that, but your government and its applications of it. Through the use of regulation, we've taken this big, scary, explosive device and we power cities in a clean and efficient manner that isn't as harmful to the environment as, say, burning coal. And the same can be done with these GMOs. If you do it right 
and stuff is regulated and you don't have greedy corporations being like, gimme, gimme, gimme all your green money, you're gonna have people going, gimme, gimme, gimme all that green food. Yeah, two points I wanna make on that. One is we don't wanna adopt a throw a baby out with the bathwater type of mentality. And two is we wanna focus on, on large amounts of, on, we wanna focus on data and not just big scary headlines. Going back to what you said about um, nuclear power, there were three major incidents that, that I know about, Fukushima, Three Mile Island, and Chernobyl, and those really changed the tide as far as us being able to properly implement nuclear energy because everybody got scared and there were well-meaning oh, yeah. environmentalists that wanted to, you know, um, get rid of nuclear energy. But well, yeah. the, rea the reality was always that nuclear energy is cleaner than oil and gas. It's uh, safer than a lot of these other energy sources that we have. And it's more, it, it's more well, it, we are able to implement it better than say wind or solar at the moment. Not to get oh, too yeah. hung up on nuclear. But the point being is that we need to focus on broad structures. We need to focus on big pieces of data and not get scared away by fear mongering based on well-meaning activism. I couldn't say it better because I didn't. You did. <laughs> Why, thank you. You're welcome. So how do you combat that misinformation out there, though, with all of this, uh, with all this fear mongering? You know, there are so many documentaries out there left and right that say GMO is bad. You know, corporations are evil. They're they're trying to destroy the fabric of the family dinner table and 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 you should just eat organic food. And but and and and, and all of this and all of this rhetoric, you know, and then. How do you combat that? I mean, uh, side note, I wanted to point that that in order to to feed the growing population, we have to increase food production by 73% to match the estimated 9 billion people that our planet will have uh, projected by 2050. And if you were to go with organic, you would only be able to feed 4 billion people on this planet. And Last I checked, there's almost 8 billion of us. So organic farming does not adequately feed the world's population. Well, you know what that means? Either the rich are going to be nice and well-fed or us poor people are going to be starving. So unless a lot of people are going to get angry from being starved to death, maybe we should just not be so scared of this stuff. Do some research. Yeah, I mean, so much of what we talked about comes back to education and how we learn things and how we convey ideas. Um, we don't want to be caught up in fear mongering. We want to learn to look at uh, data and not just scary stories, because the reality is there's going to be a scary story for any kind of new technology. And that's what the you know large segments of the media are going to glom onto. You might hear some story about Monsanto acting shady and glean from that being that oh GMOs are just bad and we need to write it off completely. We need to change the underlying mentality of how people think about these issues like no don't focus on a single story of something happening focus on the broader frame of information and data that we have on something. Okay. Oh my God. Thank you ladies so much for being here today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. I'm a very fidgety person. 
the last two or three hours, I have been fidgeting with my vibrating cough ring. I was thought you just been over here discussing GMOs. Like, yes, yeah, very interesting. <laughs> yeah, this is Monsanto. <laughs>